haven't given a talk in this new in our new Dama Hall. And I wasn't here last Saturday, I was gone, so it's a little overwhelming. <laughs> but it's really beautiful to just look around and I think we need to just appreciate it every time we come into this room. It is lovely and it's here for us. So take advantage of it. Um, I was gone for a week. I left the week after Buddha Day and I, I was in a graduate course for mindfulness and for my practice because I went home. I went to visit my family. <laughs> so I had a week in Houston where it was about 104 degrees a couple of the days. But I was able to be with both of my brothers, so we were scattered around, so it was a rare opportunity. And with my mom, who was having some, some more eye surgery. So uh, everything I speak about is from straight, pure experience. And uh, what I real one of the things I realized was when we have an opportunity to go on a meditation retreat, whether it's 10 days of silence or whether it's a really wonderful weekend, that is a piece of cake. You know, that is so easy. People allow you to sit and they feed you and they tell you what to do and we can be miserable in that experience. But what a blessing that is. Most of us have to do our retreats in the real world with real people like our family. And we don't have everything laid out for us. You know, we take each lesson as it comes rolling in at us. So, um, and my family lives far away, so I have, I, I, most of you, I mean, a lot of you may have your families on a daily basis. So my kids give me a lot of the lessons that I, that I need. But I'm far away from my family, so whenever I'm with them, it's like, just like an explosion. So the image I have, it's like being in a, a carnival house of mirrors because everything is a mirror, right? Every voice I hear, everything is this me coming back at myself. And uh, so it's just these mirrors are distorted. Some of them seem distorted and crazy and they're scary and some are funny. But it's just like spending a week in a house of mirrors with a 104 degree temperature. <laughs> So I'm thinking, why do I resist doing the 10-day Vipassana retreat? What is my hesitation about doing that? If I'm willing to go home and be with my family, why can't I sit on a cushion for 10 days straight without talking? Um, so the thing I wanted to talk about is about stories. And um, the fir very first day of my trip, one, I had, we had a get-together with both brothers, one of them lives in Houston, so at his his place, which is out in the country, really nice. And we're we're drinking iced tea or something in the cool house later in the afternoon, and somehow something came up about our names, where our names had come from. And so I told my brothers this little story that my mother had told me years ago about how she named me. My my name my other name is Judy. And, my, and it's not a family name. So my mother had told me this little story. It was really cute. An aunt thought I was named after her because her name's Julie. But my mother really named me after Judy Garland. <laughs> but she couldn't tell my aunt that because there'd be hard feelings. So. And, it, and my brother said, oh, we've never heard that story. 
right about that time, my mother walks through the room and she said, I never told you that story. <laughs> and that's not true, you know? And I'm thinking, I said, how would I have made that story up? It's very specific. I'm sitting, I know where I was sitting when she told me that story. And, and I knew every detail of it. And she's absolutely sure that was not true. That was not the story. She never told it to me. My brothers are looking at me, rolling their eyes, because my mom's blind. So <laughs> she tip, usually can't see the rolling of the eyes. And they're looking at me like, OK, get out of this one. And all I could do, a couple of times I protested. Like, why would I make that up? How could I make that story up? <coughs> And finally, I just had to let it go. You know, it's like, that's another story I've got to let go. And I thought that one was grounded in some evidence. <laughs> so my brothers think I'm a little crazier than they already think I am. And, but it, but I, could, I could finally let that story go. It doesn't matter to me, you know, what the real story is. It doesn't matter to me. It, that seemed to happen a lot the week I was there. So I was... Uh, thinking a lot about stories and then a friend of mine is visiting from Minnesota and this morning she made the comment that you know a human being our nature we are storytellers by nature and so that's also a quality about us that's very important I mean, it's a good thing we're storytellers look at the beautiful I mean we have beautiful books and movies and literature we love stories and the teachings that the Buddha gave us are stories and we have the Jataka tales where he tell, they're all the stories about even previous lives when he was, uh, you know, in the animal kingdom and all these different stories. So all of our wonderful spiritual teachings and whatever spirituality, whatever path we follow, the most beautiful things we learn are often just told in very simple stories. So it's our human nature and it's a wonderful thing that we're storytellers. But the kind of stories that we're always working with are those stories that come up in our mind. That, well, we notice it when we're sitting, when we're meditating. If, no if you didn't start creating any stories in your, in your practice today, I'd like you to raise your hand. <laughs> and I might call you out on it. Most of us can immediately create stories from just some thought that comes up, right? We're always being instructed to allow those thoughts to come up. Don't repress them, but don't attach to them. Don't make a story out of them. So what we're always talking about, that instruction is, just see the thought for what it is. It's a thought. We can't control our thoughts. The best we can do is learn to work with our thoughts and understand them and understand how they are come from the brain and that we are not our thoughts. And a lot of times, what I realized this last week, what I had to keep telling myself many, many times during the day, that I am not my thoughts. And, um, and I, had, I had three people I was reading all the time when I was in Houston. One is Thich Nhat Hanh's book, Happiness. I figured I was going to need that one. <laughs> and I was also uh, reading things by Sylvia Borstein, who's a uh, Vipassana teacher, who's really a wonderful, practical teacher. And I had uh, 
in the Buddha's words, you know, my big fat book I carried around, so you know, I could go to, when I was really distressed, I could look up the topic. So, working with stories, working with stories, the stories that pop up in our head that we feel like we have no control over, it begins with a little thought. It begins, it begins with a thought that has nothing to do with anything about what we want to be going on or what we want to be happening. The thought comes in and we add another thought to it. We get sidetracked with that thought and we see ourselves jumping out into those tears of feeding that thought. And before we know it, we're completely lost in that thought. It wasn't even anything that we could remember what it started with. And very often what happens to us is we believe that we are that thought. Or a thought comes up, a thought of uh, sadness, that, or a thought of despair, or anger, or something arises that, some kind of irritation, or some kind of worry, and we become that thought. We identify with that thought. We can't separate from it. So what we, what we are always working with and why, why we have our practice is so we can practice when we can sit here quietly. It's really so we can just watch those crazy thoughts and just have an idea. Look how crazy this is. If I am every one of these thoughts, look how crazy I am, right? <laughs> What am I? Am I a, a grocery list? Am I out of fear? A lot of times we plan, we plan for our future excessively. That's coming from a thought about fear. So we've got to be planning all the time. I hear people all the time say, well, I can't meditate. They'll come to meditation practice, but they'll say, I I'm one of those people who can't meditate. My mind races, and so I can't do it. They, they come and have the intention to try to get some relief and help. But we probably all said at some point, I can't meditate. My mind is too, my mind is racing too much. Well, the truth is we can practice. We can work with that mind. No matter who we are or what kind of mind we have, we can work with that. Now, I did meet someone recently who had to have her thyroid removed. So she had had a pretty good excuse for having hyperthyroidism, she said her, she has a racing mind, and that was a physiological condition. But she still works with meditation, and now that her thyroid's been removed and it's more under control, her meditation practice is just, is kind of there for her anyway. Now she can really go further with it and work even more with those racing thoughts. But I don't think there's any condition that we have that make uh, practice unavailable to us. And if nothing else, it helps us work with whatever. If there is a condition that makes us have to live with a racing mind every minute forever, the meditation still will help us work with that. So we're working with the thoughts that are arising and here are the, here are the things we're told to do. Thich Nhat Hanh says, what we have to do is stop running. We have to stop. So we're always either running, we're either running to something or we're running away from something. So we're either, we're either clinging to something or we're trying, we're, we have so much aversion to it that we're running away from it. 
so, and which are two of the five hindrances. So he's saying, just stop running. Well, so once you stop running, what do you do? Then, then what you do is work with every single breath you take. And if we're really working with each breath we take, it's very hard in one breath to create a story. You know, that one breath might be our only opportunity to stop the story. And when he talks about, it was stop running, Thich Nhat Hanh even talks about, you know, if you have to, you lay down on the ground and you feel the earth underneath you. And you know, we probably all had those moments where we feel so much like we have to run that, that the idea of laying down on the ground is a beautiful idea if we make ourselves do it. And he's saying we lay down, if we have to, lay down on the ground. If your feet on the earth, if that's not enough, lay down on the grass, lay down wherever you are, and literally start to feel your connection to the earth, that we are the earth. We're not just on it, running around. We are the earth. And every time we scratch ourselves, a few skin flakes, you know, some of us goes back to the earth and to really remember that connection to the earth, which is that connection that he talks about being inter-being, inter the interconnection we have, which is also working with, the, with one of the three poisons, which is our feeling of no self. Well, his antidote to that is to see how we, we that idea that there is no permanent self which is frightening to us in one sense, is also the same concept that allows us to be connected to everything else. And so for that second, we can feel our connection to the earth, and then we feel all of us, everything is connected to that same earth, and we let go of our ego for a minute, we let go of our own little walls we built around ourselves, and we can feel how we're connected to everything. And I think a lot of those walls we build around ourselves to create our ego, those are our stories. You know, we really, our stories are who we are. We really often get trapped in those stories of who we are. So there's, no, there's nowhere to go, there's no room to breathe. And then we start feeling like someone's sitting on our chest or stuff's going on in our gut because we've, we've become trapped in our stories. And those are those little stories that thought, that start when there's some silly little random thought that pops up in our head and we start chasing it, we start going after it. So his, what he talks about, and I think Sylvia Borstein talks about it beautifully, is we have to, we have to work with one moment by one moment, one breath by one breath. And it's, difficult to do, but if we, if we get off the cushion and go out into our regular daily life and we can remember that, that one breath can save our lives. You know, that one breath we can take can keep us from starting a new story, getting caught in an old story, remembering the story we have about the person we're looking at and talking to. Sometimes it's all it takes is one breath to let us drop that story that's ready to, you know, that's right there. And little by little, 
by taking it one breath at a time, you know, sitting down, grounding ourselves, remembering our connection to the earth, which helps us remember our connection to everything, we can let some of those stories go. And a lot of those stories that we, that we, that arise from who knows where are the stories that only separate us from everything else. They're only the stories that build up our ego. They're not working to break down our ego. So if we can remember before we get into one of our favorite stories, not, not the movies we watch, but the stories we tell ourselves to justify ourselves, or to defend ourselves, or to keep something going, to keep, a, to keep an issue going, if we can't let it go, to keep resentments going, those stories are just to build up our side of the story, right? And our side of the story might be, I'm guilty, I'm worthless, I'm no good. So our stories don't have to be about how I'm so good. Our stories can be, let me punish myself a little bit longer. I'll dig up a story about what a bad person I am. And you may have a favorite. You know, if, uh, if you've been divorced, your favorite may be the divorce. You know, for me, that's a big favorite because it's been such a long time since that divorce, but I, all blame can go to that, you know. If my kids don't turn out the right way, it's, it's because I divorced their dad. You know, if anything goes wrong, if there's any problem, the easiest thing in the world is to, here's my favorite story, and it, it will make me feel bad. Guaranteed it'll make me feel bad. And, and Sylvia Borstein talks about, and she's 73, and I think teachers, I think the older the teacher you can find, the better. Because they're really dealing with aging and understanding. Okay, let's really look at this now. We're looking at it from an even better perspective. But she talks about what, you know, we can see all this stuff, we can know all this stuff, we can deal with and understand about suffering, but she said it doesn't make it stop happening. And that's what she's learned through her years of practice. But what we can do when that suffering is there, when we do work with it, we can then go, go and grieve for ourselves. You know, we can do, go through the grieving process, not skip over that, but be okay with our being a human being and not perfect. We can go through the grieving, and then we can move on after we grieve, but then we can move, move forward. And so she's saying, she's really speaking to those stories. You know, if your favorite story is the one that makes you feel miserable whenever you need to feel miserable, it might be time to grieve for that, and then let it go. You know, we can't... Uh, in, in our practice, why we're sitting here and spending time on the cushion is because we've made a commitment to keep moving forward. So if we really mean that, it means let's grieve and let go. It may, if it's a story that may, builds up our ego and makes us feel like we're the greatest person on earth, we may need to grieve for that and let go of that and just be okay being a regular human being, not being perfect, uh, not being the, you know, the victor, the winner in every story that we tell, and grieve for that, and then go on, just move, move forward. Let it be a process. We're never going to be, we're, I think the thing that connects us the most to the rest of the world 
is that reality that we are not going to be perfect. We are not going to be not of this world. When we're in this human life and this, have this wonderful experience to work with our stories, we are never going, we're not looking for perfection. We're looking for, you know, come on, I'll take it on. Let me just deal with one more little thing at a time. But let me move forward. You know, don't let me, don't let me slide back. Don't let me go backwards. But let, let every breath be a little movement forward. So, I don't know if that's helpful for you. I have a lot of trouble with the one, okay, I can sit there and go one breath at a time, one breath at a time. And then, and then it can be gone so quickly. <laughs> and then what do I do with that one breath at a time? But I think the glimpses I have of that are, well, that one breath at a time is all we have. And, it, and if we keep it one breath at a time, the story can't get formulated. We can't, our story doesn't get really big. And we can gradually, as we breathe, oh, one other thing I just want to mention, as we breathe, as we practice, or as we are mindful in our daily lives and watching our breath, we can also really become more and more aware of physically where we're feeling our stuff. So if we're sitting on the cushion and we're trying to be one breath at a time and we don't know what to do with that, which is where I am most of the time, okay, now what do I do? Start feeling, where do I feel the pain? Where do I feel the pressure? Where does it hurt? When I'm, if I think I'm sad, where do I feel that? If I'm with my family too many days, where do I feel that? <laughs> it feels like I'm suffocating. You know, I feel someone is literally sitting on my chest. Sylvia Borstein says sometimes sadness is when we, we feel sadness by pressure on our chest. And Louise Hay talks a lot about you know, those physical connections. But each one of us, if we pay attention in that one breath and we're dealing with strong emotions, what we can do in that one breath is, where is it? Where do I feel it? We have to work with our bodies. You know, our body's all we have. And if we lay down on the ground and just lay down on our back, first we're going to feel wonderful. We're going to feel like a little kid. And then feel, where's the pain? Where's the pressure? Where, where, can I, where, is, where am I feeling like I can't breathe? And then we start feeling, okay, this feeling is sadness. So then I don't have to create a story to feel it. Sometimes I'll just feel it. Then I can work with it because if I keep breathing, that breath will cleanse that. That breath will help heal that. Without me creating another story that's going to tell me how to deal with the sadness from this story, you know, that's not the solution, is to create better and better stories. It's to let go of the stories and then work with our bodies, work with our gut, work with our chest, work with our breath. So, enjoy the movies, but please, we've got to stop, we've got to start letting go of our stories. Find other ways to entertain ourselves. <laughs> so, thank you very much.